at 7.42. Is it fair to state you are what you say or what you write? In other words, how you express words. Our next guest might well say yes, based on research that he's carried out and worked with others on. Um, computerized text analyses have apparently shown that the words people use are like fingerprints and can even reveal details about our relationships, honesty and more. And it's not just really big words, rather seemingly insignificant language features like pronouns and articles. Let's welcome Professor James uh, Pennebecker from the Department of Psychology at the University of Texas at Austin, the author of The Secret Life of Pronouns, What Our Words Say About Us. It's a book that has been translated into Korean, should you be interested in that. Thank you very much for joining us. Well, thank you. It's good to be here. And in this book, you noticed um, through the research that produced it, there's something particular about our choice of words. Like, for example, those in in power, the words they use. Can you tell us more about the patterns you discerned? Right. What we're able to discover is that when two people are talking or we just track the language of an individual... When individuals are in, have have higher status, they shift so that they tend to avoid using words like I, me, and my, and instead tend to look around at others and using words like you and we at higher rates. What's interesting about this is these words, in terms of just the pronouns themselves, give us a, give us a sense of where people are paying attention so that a high-status person is looking out at the world, the lower-status person is looking more inwardly. Is there a sense that we become influenced by others who use these words, though, as well? In, in other words, some of the reason might be because of where we're directing attention, but some of it might be based on being influenced by others, like the famous royal we that uh, the British royal family use may, may have indirectly influenced other leaders around the world. It's certainly possible, but what's so striking is how these patterns hold up across languages and across cultures that are so different from uh, the royal family. Yeah, fair enough. Um, What about President Trump, for example, a a leader that we scrutinize and we have his tweets to be able to scrutinize on a near-daily basis? Do we notice anything particularly interesting about his pattern? We do, and some of this will not surprise anyone uh, some of the dimensions we we pay a particular attention to are groups of words that suggest complex thinking, or sometimes we refer to it as analytic thinking. These are words; they're not necessarily big words, but they're words that that people use when they are distinguishing differences between ideas. This might be true, but not that, and so forth. And what we find is that. Uh, President Trump is, in terms of analytic language, is probably is without question the lowest, the the lowest uh, in analytic thinking of any American president, back to George Washington. In other words, he's not somebody who makes if-then statements. He's he's very much an intuitive thinker as opposed to a logical thinker. Very and interesting. That, and another dimension. And, and, and another dimension goes back to what we were just talking to talking about in terms of status status and confidence he is 
very, very high in this sense of uh, confidence and clout and speaks as though he's somebody with high status. Again, more so than any previous president. Can you tell when someone's faking it, though? For example, there, there might be the language of diplomacy. Some people might just naturally put in a, you know, make their language slightly less um, certain or, or, or make their language a little more open to the uh, listener or reader. And, and they might just do that because they're they're kind of accepting of a wider audience, whereas others might be doing it in a manipulative way. Can we discern that? We can, and there's different ways to do it, and, and of course it depends some on context. So, for example, if I am uh, coming across as more genuine and self-effacing, I might say, I think the weather outside is cold, whereas if I'm somebody who speaks with absolute certainty, I would just say the weather is cold. And the first approach, I think the weather is cold, is essentially saying in a more humble way, well, there's multiple perspectives on this. You might think something differently, but I think it's cold. So those very small little words and phrases are giving off more information that I think I certainly ever thought before I started studying this. So for many of us listening right there would think, well, hang on a minute. When was the last time I said, I think it's cold? Um, Because almost always we either say something like, it's cold, or just shorten that phrase as much as possible for for ease sake. And sometimes it's so cold that you're not really in the mood for for spitting out a whole sentence. Can we really overanalyze that? Maybe Maybe not the best example, but if you start listening to those situations where, where for example, if I asked you uh, to uh, compare the, uh, the economies of uh, Mexico with uh, Canada, now, you're probably going to say, because, Mike, I'm going to go out on a limb here. You're not a world expert on that, nor mm. am I. But but you can kind of fake it, and you will say, well, I think uh, Mexico's uh, uh, makes much more money, much, much more money of its uh, money through agriculture compared to I don't know what the answer is, but I will use words like I think, I believe, I wonder, and those are signaling that you know I'm trying to figure it out while I'm speaking. Whereas if I were a world expert, I'd say. Mexico's economy is this, the other economy is that. In other words, when we're certain, we don't, we don't use those hedges. Right. And some of these are going to be just in our everyday life. When you, if you and I are walking down the street and we are talking about various topics that we both know somewhat, sometimes we will use that language. Of, of uh, It's not necessarily uncertainty, but an awareness of other perspectives. Yeah, well, it, it does seem to, at an everyday level, draw on what we respect in academia, i.e. the need for citations, in a way. Like, for example, after this interview, I could go and tell somebody, the way you use pronouns is really important. Or I could say, apparently, the way you use pronouns is really important. I, I was speaking to an interesting professor today about that subject. You know, the, the, the second way... Is, is more engaging, but it doesn't make the listener feel like I'm just ramming it down their throat. Yes, and I think there, there's some truth to that. But by the same token, 
we often like to hear somebody who speaks with authority. And in fact, we've been looking at uh, the language of political leaders uh, around the world. And what we found is over the last 50 years, actually a little bit longer than that, is there's been an increasing, uh, that, that leaders use an increasing amount of status language. They speak with absolute certainty, even when they don't have the faintest idea what they're talking about. And and we, the voters, tend to vote for people who uh, speak in a simple way and with absolute authority. It, it's, um, it's a sort of way of speaking or writing that commands respect, but also demands a certain level of respect, I, I would suggest. W- would you go along with that? It, it, it kind of like, for example, if someone was to impart some sort of spiritual wisdom to you, if, if you had any kind of respect for their position in the first place, maybe you'd be more willing to listen than if it was um, somebody sitting on the side of the street holding a, an alcoholic beverage in their hand. Well, that's true, but it also is the the language of a successful huckster. So if I speak with certainty about something, even though I might be lying through my teeth, you're going to be more likely to, to go along with it. And this is, this is what the, the, the political establishment has figured out over the last several decades, that uh, if you're going to run for election, you need to speak with certainty, even though you might not know what you're talking about. At important moments, like election periods in the U.S., it's very important for people to up their discernment then. Can you give us a method for establishing when someone is telling the truth or just flat-out lying? So, statistically, there's certain groups of words, uh, and uh, these words I keep will bring, keep bringing up again and again. These are some of the shortest words in in uh, English and actually in any any language. So a person who is telling the truth tends to use words like I, me, and my. They're 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 more inward looking. They also tend to uh, use words such as um, accept, but, exclude. Words where they're making a distinction between what's in a category and what's not in a category. In other words, thinking and speaking in a more complex way. A person who is deceptive tends to avoid any reference to who, to self, and uh, but they also have to keep things very simple. So, if you ask me what I did last night, I might say, uh, "Well, I was with my friends, and I was going to go to uh, a restaurant, but then I realized I didn't have any money, and then." To, so-and-so. In other words, I'm using I, me, and my, but I'm also using I did this, but I didn't do that. And if I were lying to say I was going to do this, but instead did that, to say that when I'm lying is so complex, it, it almost makes your head spin around because it's so complex to say something that you were thinking about doing, but you didn't do it. In other words, these little subtle differences in language can serve as powerful clues to what's going on inside a person's head. Interestingly, in the Korean language, there isn't the uh, English equivalent of articles like ah uh, or an or, or the. Uh, they, they are embedded within context, and often pronouns are dropped as well. And, of course, there is also... Um, 
a kind of formal style of speech that people adhere to in a, in a far more structured fashion with honorifics than, exactly. than you find in English it, language. Exactly. In fact, the Korean and Japanese both are glorious languages for status because there are all of these markers of, of status. And that, that's what, so, so from an English speaking perspective, it's always been thought, well, you know, Korean is, is a language where status is inherent in the language, but we don't have that in English. But in fact, we do have it. Now, the fact that in uh, Korean, you, you don't have articles or uh, uh, you drop pronouns doesn't make any difference because the speaker and listener both know if you're making a distinction between a table versus a particular versus that particular table. Yes, so, indeed. So, so, it, so, in fact, you have the equivalent of articles. So, it would be table versus this table or that table, which so every language knows we're able to make that distinction. And it's also known, even with the pronoun drop, the context that uh, it, that it, the person is talking about, I'm hungry versus you're hungry. Just to finish off with a little exercise that we might all do, something you started your TED Talk with, you suggested when people write down something about their experiences, they can actually improve their immune function so, yes, there's a lot that you can do to analyze based on what people write and the way they write. But would you suggest that we all write down our emotions more often, even if it's only for personal consumption? Well, this is a, another large line of research I, I have done over many years. And the basic idea of this is when an individual finds themselves thinking about something or worrying about something too much, just sitting down and writing for even 10 or 15 minutes about your thoughts and feelings about that thing that's bothering you helps you to get past it. Putting, a, putting um, unexpected things into words has this ma- almost magical ability to help resolve that topic. So you sleep better. You, uh, and there have been hundreds and hundreds of studies now with this, what we call expressive writing, that is associated with improved immune function, re- uh, better working memory, and other changes associated with psychological health. So, yes. Yeah, definitely. Do do occasional writing when you're you find that you're obsessing about something too it, much. It can feel a bit silly or make us a bit self conscious, but it's probably a lot easier for people than sitting and talking to themselves. Thank you so much, Professor Pennebacher, for, for joining us today. You bet.